Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Today's episode has a lot to do with why I started this podcast. God assigns Christian fathers the responsibility of protecting their children, and one of the greatest dangers to them in this cultural moment is the false religion called progressive Christianity. But the everyday Christian father and grandfather is way too busy just doing life to keep up with the destructive worldviews taking captive the kids raised in Christian homes. And frankly, so are today's pastors and elders. They have so many other responsibilities in shepherding the flock of God under their care. How can they possibly keep up with all the destructive worldviews being promoted today by the social media? And even if pastors could keep up, the average teen girl, for example, spends over 50 hours per week on her cell phone, drinking in the values promoted in the social media. That compares to one half hour in a sermon she hears, and maybe another one half hour in youth group. That's 50 times more influence from the social media than her church. If fathers don't step in to guide their kids into a biblical analysis and wise refutation of such views, I don't see how our sons and daughters have a chance. That is why we are in this series, to equip dads and granddads to lead their homes and protect their children. This episode exposes a new movement that many in the rising generation are becoming convinced is superior to their old-fashioned, closed-minded, bigoted Christian faith, the one they grew up with. It is called Progressive Christianity. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 46 of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. In the book Mama Bear Apologetics, Alicia Childers shares the story of her encounter with the progressive Christianity that had crept into her own church. She writes, When progressive Christianity first came into full bloom in the late 2000s, I was married with a new baby in tow. The influx of all these new teachings flew past my radar because my days were spent nursing, changing diapers, and making baby food. When our pastor invited me to be a part of a new small and exclusive ministry training study class at the non-denominational church our family attended, it sounded like the perfect escape from my everyday routines, a chance to engage my intellectual side, which, let's be honest, was seriously starving. The pastor explained that the class would be an opportunity for us to work through our questions and re-examine the theological paradigms that had defined what we believed about Christianity. Then, in an effort to squash any notion that we might have that he had everything figured out, he announced, "Um, I like to call myself a hopeful agnostic, a class that brought ancient Christian beliefs and doctrine into question, led by an agnostic pastor. What could possibly go wrong? Little did I know at that time there were groups, classes, meetings, online forums, and conversations happening all over the country flooded with people questioning historic Christian beliefs such as the atonement, the exclusivity of Christianity, the authority of the Bible, the literal resurrection of Jesus, the nature of sin, the definition of heaven, and the reality of hell. With the explosion of social media and a few brave souls willing to take these new ideas public, these folks found each other, deconstructed together, and united. 
As far as I know, I am the only soul in that class who came out with his or her faith intact. The rest went on to identify, along with the church itself, as a progressive Christian community. Well, what is progressive, quote-unquote, Christianity? Progressive Christianity is a current theological movement that is rooted in mainline Protestant liberal theology, which rejects the fundamentals of the Christian faith, denies the exclusivity of Christianity, and emphasizes social justice and tolerance using the modern-day woke vocabulary. The Center for Progressive Christianity, TCPC, was founded in 1996 by retired Episcopal priest James Rowe Adams in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Progressive Christians David Felton and Jeff Proctor Murphy, in their comprehensive survey of progressive Christianity, explain traditional understandings of Christology, atonement, and the incarnation are all in flux. In fact, many people find these concepts to be irrelevant to contemporary spirituality. Here is a sample of what this movement believes. The current article posted on progressivechristianity.org is entitled, Inconsistent Scripture, Why the Bible's Errors Are Actually Good News for Christians. Yesterday's article was entitled, How to Combat Anti-LGBTQ Forces. Here's a list of progressive Christianity's beliefs identified by Elisa Childers. First, the rejection of the Bible's infallibility and therefore its authority. Progressive leader Brian McLaren suggests that we should change the way we read the Bible. Instead of reading it as an authoritative source for truth, he recommends it be read as a quote-unquote inspired library that preserves the best attempts of our apparently less enlightened spiritual forefathers to understand God in their culture and times. He compares scriptures with fossils to be dusted off and observed rather than a revelation from God that we are to obey. David Felton and Jeff Proctor Murphy put it like this. The Bible is the witness of generations of faithful people recording their own understandings of the divine in their particular time, place, and culture. This theological pluralism reveals changing, developing, and sometimes conflicting ideas about God. The second characteristic of progressive Christianity is a rejection of Jesus' claim to be the only way to God. In his 2016 Everything is Spiritual tour, Rob Bell gave a lecture in which he described God in terms of an energy and force that connects all things. When he got to the Jesus part of his story, he declared that when the apostles referred to the Christ, they were referring to, quote, a universal animating energy that holds the universe together. Here, Rob loosely referred to Colossians 1.17, which says he existed before anything else and he holds creation together. Rob described this as Christ consciousness. So Jesus is some kind of universal animating energy that holds the universe together. Third, so-called progressive Christianity rejects the atoning blood sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. In the lecture mentioned above, the only reference to the blood atonement of Jesus was Bell's explanation of communion. He explained that the defining characteristic of eating the bread and wine was to invite all people to, quote, realize that there is this common humanity that we share that trumps any of the ways we have cooked up to divide ourselves, unquote. 
Bell mockingly quipped that the 2,000-year-old Christian doctrine of the atonement could be summed up in seven words, quote, God is less grumpy because of Jesus, unquote. In his final benediction, Bell exhorted the crowd, quote, May you line yourself up with the fundamental energies of the universe, which always move forward and beyond in love, complexity, depth, and unity. The fourth characteristic of so-called progressive Christians is that they often engage in linguistic theft. They redefine biblical words. Why should that surprise us? Going back to the opening story, Elisa Childers says, When I told my agnostic pastor that I was uncomfortable with where some of our class discussions were heading, he encouraged me to ask him any question I had. He promised to answer honestly and said that no inquiry was off limits. I asked, Do you believe in hell? And do you believe the Bible is divinely inspired? He answered unequivocally yes to both. A few months later, I came to know what he meant by divinely inspired. He believed the Bible was inspired much like the writings of C.S. Lewis or A.W. Tozer, but not in any special kind of way. And hell? He meant it in a figurative sense, as in living out the negative consequences of bad choices we make here on earth. The fifth characteristic of so-called progressive Christianity is a focus on social justice. Love and justice are biblical concepts and attributes of God. But social justice is a cultural term that carries a lot of baggage. Progressive Christians, so-called, have adopted the cultural definition of social justice by this culture's woke movement and retrofitted it to reinterpret Jesus' teachings. This is why so many progressive so-called Christians are fighting for acceptance of LGBTQ behavior, modern feminism, and abortion, all in the name of Christ. Here are four more counterfeit truths of progressive Christianity. False doctrine number one, you are perfect just the way you are. The doctrine of original sin is abandoned and replaced with original goodness. In their survey of progressive Christianity, progressive authors Felton and Proctor Murphy write, Far from being fallen creatures trying to return to a mythical Eden, human beings are emerging as a species from more primal and baser instincts to become more responsible and mature beings. Although most progressive Christians, quote-unquote, admit that humans are broken, they won't call that brokenness sin, but rather attribute it to immaturity. It isn't our sin that separates us from God, but our own self-imposed shame. Of Adam and Eve, progressive author Brian McLaren writes, they lose their fearlessness in relation to God. So rather than viewing their sin as what separated humans from a holy God, McLaren refers to their experience in Eden as a classic coming-of-age story. According to this counterfeit truth, you don't need to deny yourself and repent. You just need to realize that you were never separated from God in the first place. You are perfect, just as you are. False doctrine number two, Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. If sin doesn't separate us from God, why then did Jesus die on the cross? According to progressive Christianity, Jesus didn't die as a blood sacrifice offered to God for the sins of the world. He died to show us how to forgive our enemies by allowing himself to be crucified by an angry mob. One progressive author puts it this way, Who originated the cross? If God did it, then we worship a cosmic abuser 
who in divine wisdom created a means to torture human beings in the most painful and aberrant manner. In progressive so-called Christianity, the view historically known as substitutionary atonement, which has to do with Jesus being punished in our place as our substitute, is perceived to be an abusive doctrine that implicates the character of God. The logic goes like this. If God the Father requires the blood of Jesus his Son, doesn't that make him something like a divine child abuser? False doctrine number three. The resurrection doesn't have to be historical to be meaningful. In an interview with the Houston Chronicle, progressive Lutheran minister Nadia Boltz-Webner commented on Christian beliefs like the Trinity, the Incarnation, and the miracles of Jesus. She said, I believe that all of it's true. Whether every single bit of it is a fact or not doesn't interest me. Okay. In a blog post to help Christian parents explain Easter to their children, a progressive pastor claimed, Stories don't have to be factual to speak truth, and it's okay to question a literal resurrection. As Felton Proctor Murphy wrote, Today the metaphor of resurrection stands for many Christians as a symbol of the call to new life, as an appeal to practice resurrection here and now. False doctrine number four, God doesn't care who we sleep with. One of the hallmarks of progressive Christianity is a rejection of biblical sexuality and an affirmation of same-sex and premarital sex. In her book, Shameless, Nadia Boltz-Weber argues for a new Christian sexual ethic that allows for moderate pornography consumption, one-night stands, same-sex encounters, and virtually any sexual activity that demonstrates, quote-unquote, a concern for each other's flourishing. According to this counterfeit truth, human sexuality is based on what makes someone feel happy and fulfilled, rather than on God's holiness and purpose for sex, not to mention his commands. So, how does progressive Christianity entice the rising generation? Perhaps that's obvious right now, but let's take a look. In 2021, the Gospel Coalition leaders recognized how prevalent deconstructing stories of young adults from Christian homes were becoming. One of those they asked to address this phenomenon was Ian Harbour, the director of a nonprofit in Denton, Texas, who was enticed away from his Christian faith by the teachings of progressive so-called Christianity, but then returned to the faith. Let's look for truths that will help us equip our teens to resist the enticements of this false religion masquerading as a form of Christianity. Ian Harbour writes, The Christian tradition I grew up in, for all the wonderful things it gave me, was not prepared for a generation of kids with access to high-speed internet. Not that the critiques of the Bible we discovered online were new, but they were now at the fingertips of curious folks who grew up in evangelical bubbles. Legitimate critiques that were a Google search or YouTube video away. What about the contradictions and scientific inaccuracies in certain biblical stories? Have we shrugged at the passages where God commands Israel to slaughter their enemies and their enemies' children? How could a loving God condemn his beloved creation to eternal torment? What about all the other religions? Aren't they all saying basically the same thing? These questions, among others, began to chip away at the authority of the stories I was handed as a child. Not only did I have questions about the Bible, I also had questions about how it squared with my faith's political culture. 
Why did our policies seem to particularly disadvantage poor and marginalized communities? Why would Christians degrade immigrants made in the image of God who were simply seeking a better life in my Texas town? As important as abortion is, surely we're supposed to care about those suffering after birth as well, right? These questions so haunted Harbor that he left the faith completely, wanting nothing to do with Jesus or the church. Looking back on what happened to him, Harbor realizes that he wanted a faith that fit into the values of the social media world that was shaping him. He writes, Wokeness was the new morality. Therapy was the new path to happiness. Cancel culture was the new church discipline. And like the moral therapeutic deism, there was conveniently no personal God to place demands on your life in any meaningful way. Elizabeth Gilbert's trope is the only thing left. God dwells within you as you. There is no way to distinguish between ourselves and God. In this paradigm, we are God. Ian Harbour finally came to see the accuracy of author Mark Sayers' description of the progressive vision of the world as the kingdom without the king. Sayers goes on to say, We want all of God's blessings without submitting to his loving rule and reign. We want progress without his presence. We want justice without his justification. We want the horizontal implications of the gospel for society without the vertical reconciliation of sinners to God. We want society to conform to our standard of morality without God's standard of personal holiness. So how can we guide teens away from progressive Christianity? Here are four principles. First, train them in worldview issues. Before they leave home, devote time to examining the enticing anti-biblical views promoted by many in the social media, showing our kids how much more sense the biblical worldview makes. Before beginning this current podcast and blog series, I carefully studied the deconversion stories of those who have lost their faith to become either atheists or progressive Christians. I chose the false worldviews that we have examined based upon what I learned about these deconversions. So you may have noticed that many of the doubts identified by Ian Barber in the above paragraph corresponded to specific questions we've addressed in this podcast series. So you might want to go back and repeat the series again or use it as a curriculum for your team. The written version of each podcast identifies the resources that I quoted from during the podcast, and the show notes have links to other key resources. The best resources I have found to prepare teens to leave home are a practical guide to culture, helping the next generation navigate today's world by John Stone Street and Brett Kunkel, the Colson Center's What Would You Say video series, Mama Bear Apologetics, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies, edited by Hilary Ferrer, and two books published by the Gospel Coalition, Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church, edited by Ivan Mesa, and The Secular Creed, Engaging Five Contemporary Claims by Rebecca McLaughlin. In today's world, we simply must train our children in worldview understanding. Principle number two, make absolutely sure they feel safe with their doubts and questions. 
True Christianity is not an inherited religion. It is a chosen one. Every child moving through adolescence and into adulthood must go through the painful and, for parents, frightening process of examining what he has been taught and deciding for himself if he believes it. Owning what you believe is a good description of adulthood. We need to make a safe place for a child to express his doubts. But that does not at all mean abandoning him or her to the wolves. Satan will present his lies about Christianity, so we need to prepare our kids. Principle number three, help them understand the correct view of faith. Faith is a set of assumptions that are logically the most plausible way to explain life. Functioning faith does not require absolute certainty. When I board a plane, I have faith that the pilot knows what he is doing. This belief is more logically plausible, more likely than that he does not. My working faith at that point is not absolute certainty. I haven't personally watched him fly the plane under every condition we might encounter on our flight. Faith, again, is built upon a preponderance of evidence, not absolute certainty. When I drive through an intersection on a green light, I have faith that the other drivers will stop at the red light. But I do not have absolute certainty. We don't need absolute certainty to operate on the basis of faith. When I sometimes doubt the reality of Christianity, I ask myself, what other faith or system of thought better explains life? Every other system has massive logical flaws. For example, naturalism. There is no God because the world, this physical world, is all there is. Then how do you explain spiritual qualities like love? and a moral sense of right and wrong. Or Eastern mysticism, God is just an impersonal, powerful force. Lots of people believe that. But God, by definition, has to be the greatest of all beings, and personhood is greater than non-personhood, like a rock. A rising young adult may have doubts and some unanswered questions, but there isn't any other way to explain life that makes more sense than the biblical worldview. Principle number four, when young adults focus on the failure of Christians, explain grace. Sadly, we Christians don't represent Jesus very well. But Christianity is not for the good moral people of the world, but for those who admit their brokenness. The least moral, the least self-confident, the least well-adjusted members of society are often those most likely to recognize their need for Jesus, to forgive their moral failures and make them whole. Jesus didn't come for the well, but for the sick. Christians will always be flawed representatives of Jesus. So we need to lift up the eyes of a doubting generation to see Jesus. summarize this episode, the crushing power of peer influence coming upon the rising generation because of their constant cell phone use makes it imperative that men lead their homes and protect their families from the destructive false religion mislabeled progressive Christianity. We observe that this unbelief is spreading through stealth changing the meaning of theological terms like the inspiration of scripture, the resurrection, and even the sacrament of communion. 
Progressive Christianity is the same old classic liberalism of the mainline denominations that long since rejected the authority of Scripture. But this new movement clothed itself in the vocabulary of wokeness. We saw that progressive Christianity rejects the infallibility and authority of Scripture, Jesus' claim to be the only way to God, and the need for the atoning blood of Jesus to be shed to atone for human sin. It substitutes for a legitimate biblical concern for justice the woke definition of social justice in opposing any group who does not embrace abortion, feminism, and the LGBTQ view of sexuality. It further teaches false doctrines like you are perfect just as you are, not a sinner in need of forgiveness. Second, Jesus didn't need to die on the cross, not a view of God's holiness and justice requiring that evil be punished. Third, that the resurrection doesn't have to be historical, substituting the nice idea of having a new beginning for the historic fact that the resurrection happened, proving Satan, sin, and death have been ultimately defeated. Fourth, teaching that God doesn't care who you sleep with, ignoring the profound biblical teaching that sees sex as a priceless gift that only works properly in the marriage of one man and one woman. We observed that progressive Christianity is enticing because it leads its followers to fit into woke culture by carving out everything that woke culture dislikes about true Christianity. We finished our study with the challenge to train the rising generation in worldview issues while at the same time making them feel absolutely safe with their doubts. We further noted that we need to help them have a correct view of faith, a perspective based upon the most plausible explanation of the facts. We finished by pointing to grace, which is the heart of Christianity, which might explain why Christians are so messed up, and finally reminded us all to point our kids to Jesus. For questions for guiding the rising generation to think about this material, number one, What alarms you most about the rise of progressive Christianity? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Next week, we continue our series entitled Protecting Our Families from Enticing but False Worldviews by observing how supporting critical race theory is in fact the opposite of helping oppressed minorities. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast.